0: Welcome to the Ward Zero podcast, covering the civic issues you most want to talk about.
1: You are now entering Ward Zero.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two, episode six of the Ward Zero podcast. My name is Asmahan Razavi, and I'm joined by Darren Krause and Jeremy Zhao. We want to begin with a land acknowledgement in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge that we live, work and record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, including the Siksika, the Kainai and the Pekani and the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Here is what we're going to talk about this episode conduct of counselors online what should they do even if they're being antagonized leaf blowers who knew that they could be such a hot topic and housing affordability but we're going to begin with a hot take we have one today and i'm going to throw it to you darren
3: yeah this is just going to be really quick uh this weekend we have the calgary comic and entertainment expo and It hasn't been on, at least in its full glory, for the past two years. And they're going to have their Parade of Wonders tomorrow, which is, of course, when all of the cosplayers go out and they march down Stephen Avenue and enjoy themselves as they are in their costumes and that sort of thing. And, of course, the Freedom Convoyers have to say, we're going to essentially disrupt this and and whatnot. So my hot take is... Like, can we just get over it? Like, what is your point now? Like, things are pretty much back to normal. How much is going on and how much is, are, are you being put out by whatever loose sort of regulations might still exist? Everything is back to normal. Stop the protests.
2: Maybe we need a superhero and intervention. Superman has a conversation and just pleads. On our behalf, maybe things will change and they'll.
3: Truth, justice, and the Canadian way.
2: There we go. There we go. (laughs) All right. So we also have some quick hits for you. I'm going to throw it to you again, Darren.
3: All right. So we all know that there was a lot of snow this weekend. The city had started its street sweeping program on Monday, but then had to suspend it after Tuesday's snowstorm. Some areas saw 22 centimeters in 24 hours. That to suspend the street sweeping program in a number of areas, and it's actually going to go through until Friday. Don't want to date when we're recording the podcast, but it's going to go through basically the latter half of the week, maybe into the weekend, who knows. I wanted to bring up something interesting. Maybe I just think it's interesting but city council approved the expansion of a paid parking area in Bridgeland, only a block. Don't worry. They're not trying to make a huge ton of money uh, in order to increase turnover of spots in the area and to reduce congestion. What was interesting, at least again, interesting to me as a city council watcher was Peter DeMong brought this up in the interest of better governance. He said, can't you guys just do this instead of coming to council every time And having it go through a debate and and do all of this stuff, can't you just say, hey, after all of our research, this is what we need to do. So we're going to go and do it. I thought that was a great point. Uh, There is a new baby gorilla at the Wilder Institute slash Calgary Zoo. Interesting. That's what they want us to call it is Wilder Institute slash Calgary Zoo or just the zoo. Uh, it, it, it was born to a 21-year-old Western lowland gorilla mom, Dossie. I believe that's how you say it, I think. The sex, at least to my knowledge, hasn't been determined yet. And the Calgary Zoo said that Dossie's mothering instincts were well intact, and she was actually doing a really good job. The final thing I want to bring up, only because I thought this was a really cool story, and I'm really glad that uh, Kieran Kettle brought this to our attention there's been an ongoing spat. I don't know how many MMA fans we have out here or what that Venn diagram looks like between City Council and Municipal Watchers and MMA fans and where the crossover is there. So I might be reaching just a, a, a sliver of our audience here. There's been an ongoing feud or at least a war of words between Michael Bisping and Jake Paul. Jake Paul, internet, YouTube sensation and now professional boxer. Well, anyways... <laughs> 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 Jeremy, you don't like Jake Paul? My kids love him. Ugh, just drives me insane. Anyways, there's there's been an ongoing war of words. So the Sutina Nation stepped in, saw what was going on after it got to the point where Jake Paul said, you know, you find the location where you can get sanctioned to fight and we'll, we'll do it. We'll throw down. The Sutina Nation, through their connections, through Kieran Kettle, uh, they sent a video to Bisping's team. He posted it to Twitter saying, the ball is in your court now, Jake Paul. So that's where we're at. But it would be huge to get a big super fight, even if it is a little bit gimmicky between Jake Paul and Michael Bisping. Yeah, I think it would be really fun and really entertaining. A a good little shot in the arm for not only the Sutina Nation, uh, but the city of Calgary as well.
2: Great. Thanks, Darren. I learn so much all the time from you.
3: <laughs>
2: so we're gonna go into our first segment. If, if I I like I'm talking too loudly, you guys will tell me, right? <laughs>
3: Esmahan, you're always talking too loudly.
2: Okay. <laughs> um I'm I'm dealing with a new mic. Okay. So let's go into our first segment and we're going to talk about counselor conduct online. Uh, It's something we've kind of addressed a few times here, but there was another flare up this time from counselor, Dan McLean. Uh, So I'm going to read an exchange for everyone. Um, So Stephen Carter, who was the campaign manager for Jyoti Gondek and served as her chief of staff, tweeted something out saying, um, Hey Siri, can I get a Dan McLean quote? where he sounds pretty effing stupid. Thanks. And Dan McLean interjected and said, says the guy who got shit canned from the mayor's office for bullying women. Smiley face. And then he and Stephen Carter went into a bit of an exchange. Darren and Jeremy, I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, what people expected from this new council, the kind of tone that we should hear from councillors. Uh, and here we're kind of seeing counselor McLean conduct himself in a way that I think many people would say is unbecoming. Uh, what do you both think?
0: I think, actually, when I saw those little back and forths, that Dan McLean, to a certain degree, has a right to, you know, stand up for himself. I think when you're attacked and you're not, you're not really tagged. Or you know you don't know that you're being attacked. I think it's a little bit unfair. I think we've had a lot of discussions in previous episodes, or or just in general in our in our little chats here. That yes, counselors are expected to certain certain standards, but if you're constantly being attacked unprovoked sometimes, then at some point you know Dan McLean is a human being, and I think it's fair for him to stand up, I guess, for himself.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm almost of two minds here, though I would say I definitely lean towards the Dan McLean side here. It was, I mean, it wasn't entirely unprovoked, I suppose, because Dan McLean, and we're going to get to this when we talk about leaf blowers, Dan McLean questioned, you know, some of the claims about the environmental aspect of, of the whole leaf blower thing. So Stephen Carter quote tweeted a tweet showing the environmental impact, and he antagonized Dan McLean. And I, that's where I totally agree with you. It was an antagonistic thing, which I think to a certain degree we've come to expect from Stephen Carter in a lot of ways. So that's where Jeremy, I agree that he probably does have the right to defend himself. But then it goes back to the thing where, where I teach my kids two things. Two wrongs don't make a right. And you can always take the high road. And if you do respond, you can respond in a much more professional way. And I think given how he was attacked, I think the response was warranted. But I also think that, that maybe as... He begins, or, or as he gets a little bit more comfortable in the role, maybe uh, a little bit more mature as a politician. I mean, obviously, he's a m- middle-aged man. He doesn't need a whole lot more maturity, generally speaking. But as he matures as a politician, maybe he'll start to realize that he can take the high road and he can still respond. And maybe he can respond in a way that tilts public opinion in his favor, if you can do that in a left and right world these days but makes Stephen out to really be the bad guy here. And and I think maybe that would have been a better way to approach it.
2: I think it's really interesting because to your point, Darren, about like counselors responding in ways that get public on side with them. And um, I think we've seen, especially in the U.S., more and more politicians use Twitter using Twitter as a way to like clap back or sort of hit out at their opponents. I I can think of, for example, uh, Ted Cruz, who's done it a few times and AOC who, who's done it as well. And they definitely generate like that kind of go girl, go Ted Cruz type of attitude. But I, I think it's really interesting because in Calgary, like we've had such a big discussion or so much thought I think has been put into this idea that, you know, we want our counselors to create this consensus building environment. We want them to unite Calgarians. We want to see less of this like infighting and stuff like that. And so I think for people to see individual counselors behaving this way, probably creates a a perception that they're, you know, they're just going to be feeding into that negativity and not doing the work to kind of like rise above it all. I mean, it's definitely like, I definitely think that there's a there's a probably like an adrenaline rush when you type that out and you push it and you feel good after you get a good a few good likes. But ultimately, like, is there a broader consequence in the public mind when you behave that way?
3: I mean, you you raise a good point about that adrenaline rush. But the thing is, how many times have we each been there when maybe somebody has fired a tweet our way that or or somebody has, has sent out a tweet that really incenses us? We type that tweet out. And then we go delete, 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 because we know better. And I think at some point, and and I know that, you know, in the show notes here, I I have the Giancarlo Carrà tweet that he had to apologize for in council, not exactly the same sort of instance. There's a really fine line between not putting out that tweet and deleting and thinking about that tweet. And getting that instant gratification from followers, from likes, because you know that the lefty crowd, when Stephen Carter tweets at Dan McLean and tweets that Siri message, like, like retweet, like, and of course that's a validation that people are looking for because there's, there's no value at all in, in sending that out, except for to make Dan McLean look stupid. And I think that, That we've got to get past that if we're going to elevate the conversation in the city. I think the
0: other thing, though, is Darren, your example you know, you can teach your kids to always take the high road, but I don't think you can prepare people for when you get attacked, not just by one or two individuals, but thousands, right? Now that you're an elected counselor, he probably gets attacked on a daily basis. And I can probably say that for the rest of the counselors. How do we? There's no preparation going in, you know, there is a handbook, you know, you're going to get 5,000, you know, Russian trolls that will attack you for something you didn't even say, but the, there, there's no handbook. There's no, there's no city hall school of taking the high road. <laughs> I don't know, is that a one-on-one course that they're going to offer in the next session, but reflecting maybe even on my own, maybe some past tweets or some things I've said in the past. You go, we're human beings. And I think we really need to think about that, especially in the world that we live in today. It's just, it's just too, uh, we, we forget about it way too much.
2: I want to just add like another dimension to this because the last little while we've ha- talked a lot about the police commission and, and that sort of stuff. And Council Walcott, for example, has been on the receiving end of quite a few like racist and terrible tweets. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, he hasn't risen to the bait and there is something there around, I think the different standards that we have for politicians, um, you know, Dan McLean is a white man and can get away with certain behavior that other counselors who are not white men could not, and they're held to different standards. That is a part of the conversation that I think gets, gets left out a little bit because I'm sure there are other counselors who have a lot actually I know a lot of counselors have things that are way worse that are said to them and if they were to act in the same way the backlash would be way more significant
3: should there be consequences for these kinds of things though like like from what I understand it's virtually complaint driven so somebody has to see it they have to file a complaint with the integrity or ethics commissioner and then it and then it goes from there but but should there be some sort of I don't know, manners police for for city council where there is some sort of ramification. So we do start to move the needle a little bit in improving the public dialogue.
2: I'm not sure what how I feel about like formal consequences for this kind of thing. But I will say that, you know, the current premier's office, for example, um, has really done a lot of like shit talking uh, pardon my language. <laughs> and, you know, has like singled out uh, citizens like pri- public or sorry, private citizens and, and gone after them. And like, I would feel like that kind of, if we were to see a counselor kind of like attack a citizen, that would make me uncomfortable. I don't know that it would warrant sanctions necessarily. And I don't want to like, I don't know. I, f- I feel like that would be a really fraught discussion but I, I know that, I mean, the council has had so many discussions around ethics and what is appropriate behavior and what isn't. And, you know, do they have a code of conduct around social media? I mean, I'd be curious to know about that. A lot of um, workplaces do.
3: That's a really great question. Um, something I don't know. I've read the I've read the code of conduct and I can't recall there being anything specific there having to do with the social media aspect. Interesting. I'm definitely going to look that up.
2: Okay, well, we're going to go into our next segment. Oh. It's going to blow you away. Ha ha ha. Oh, uh-
3: <laughs> that was that was bad. That that as far as intro puns go,
2: was it really bad? <laughs> well, we are talking about leaf blowers. So a petition came forward to ban gas powered leaf blowers. The rationale behind it is that they uh, cause significant pollution and excessive noise and that they are avoidable and other leaf blowing snow blowing methods can be used. I think there, you know, were well over a thousand signatures. As I looked, it's coming up against some opposition. I think. Uh, Dan McLean had something to say.
1: I think we have more important issues maybe to concentrate on, like the affordable housing, the taxes, the uh, mental health and opioid uh, problems. We've got a lot of different things we should be focusing on. Not that I don't care. Sure, they may be annoying or they consume gasoline. But again, I maybe also said that some of the claims, is it the same as driving a truck to Texas? And I said, I don't think so. But (laughs) either way, I guess what happens is the leaf floor, and then what's next? The lawnmower? Maybe it's just buying lawns? I don't know. So I'm a market uh, capitalist driven kind of guy. So maybe what we should see is some people maybe can't afford any electric uh, powered anything. So let the market kind of control these things. We will transition, but again, we've got bigger, bigger fish to fry than maybe the uh, The gas-powered leaf floor at this point, that's all I have to say. We
3: also caught up with Ward 12 Councillor Evan Spencer to talk about the exact same thing. I I mean, I think it's really interesting the kind of uh, stir this has created. I mean, ultimately, there's really been nothing committed to this. We've just started a conversation. Um, Most of us learned for the first time yesterday some of the environmental impacts of leaf blowers. So um, there's lots more conversation to happen. Nobody's made up their minds yet in any way, shape or form. Um, And I'm looking forward to great conversation and hopefully not getting locked in back and forth battles uh, in the days to come.
2: We heard from Councillor McLean. We heard from Councillor Spencer, Jeremy, Darren, should we ban gas powered leaf blowers? No Jeremy?
0: Uh, my, mine's a little bit longer and maybe a little <laughs> bit more nuanced than Darren's, but you know the, I say yes. <laughs> the The big issue here, and I think we already talked about it was you know, huge liabilities around uh, snow clearing. We know from lots of other things, the insurance uh, liabilities and uh, uh, coverages that uh, lawn maintenance companies have to have has gone up exponentially. So let's pretend, for example, that we do ban leaf blowers because they're often used to clear snow. Now they have to find another way of clearing snow. Does that add even more liability to those companies? Because we're seeing that with uh, a bunch of condos for sure all across Canada and the recent federal ruling around you know snow clearing and stuff like that is going to mean both city and potentially private companies will have to actually clear you know your sidewalks of snow and ice and that adds another layer of complexity on top of climate change i know that's a big issue that's one of the driving forces not just with the audible situation with the leaf blowers, but I think without those nuanced details and linking a lot of other topics that are in play right now to say yes or no is a very, I don't know. We're not there yet.
3: I am going to give a little bit more nuance before you go ahead. Asmahan. I mean, Jeremy, you raise a lot of great points. Bottom line is we have to have these sidewalks cleaned off and Sometimes the most efficient and most effective way is is to use the blower. But for me, I don't see this necessarily as a tool issue. I see it as a behavior issue. Obviously, I think one of the big things, though I believe it's being cloaked in an environmental issue, is the noise. I don't like the noise of a gas-powered leaf blower. The reality is if we can get somebody doing it at 11 o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the afternoon, you don't hear it because you're doing other things. You've got your own stuff going on. I think where the noise complaints come in is when your neighbor decides that they want to blow the car off or the driveway off or the sidewalk off at 730 in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning. And you're trying to enjoy your cup of coffee on the weekend or or something like that. I think that we've got the behavior issue personally, just from my perspective, and we have rules for that. It's a question of whether or not we're going to enforce the rules. And so that leads me to my second point. You can ban whatever the heck you want. Who's going to enforce it? Who's going to say? Who's going to go from door to door? It's going to be complaint driven. And do you think if we don't have the time to go and look into other complaints, do you honestly think that city bylaw is going to be worried about gas powered blowers and all of the havoc they're going to wreak in communities? I don't think so. Final point on this that I would make is, Sure. It's really nice and special that Project Calgary has this petition with a thousand people. You put up a petition for people who are in favor of gas powered leaf blowers. I'm going to guess there'd probably be about 50,000 signatures on that thing. To that end, do we go with the vocal minority or do we go with the vocal majority here on this one?
2: All right, well, I I will sort of respond to that because I I actually think we should ban gas-powered leaf blowers and I think just to I guess respond to a few of the things that you said there and I mean Yes, of course, like it's impossible to have enforcement um, 100% on things like this, but that doesn't mean that the city doesn't have a role in setting a kind of like standard and saying like, okay, we, you know, we declared a climate emergency in the fall, here are some big and small actions that we can take small action would be getting rid of gas powered <laughs> leaf blowers. So, I mean, I, I don't like, I don't know that for me, that the enforcement one isn't necessarily a compelling argument not to do it. And like, if people are so pro gas powered leaf blowers, then go start a petition to uh, change your counselor's office. I think it's great that like engaged citizens are coming forward and, and talking about, I guess, how the city can step forward and address environmental concerns in different ways. I think it's interesting to see where, how council is going to look at this. And I think the other thing that's like interesting for me is like this council has been faced with some decisions that are like, like they have argued are are not necessarily within their jurisdiction. And this is one about like a, a, a big issue that like falls solely within their jurisdiction in some way. So I'm curious to see how this lands. And I want, I want to just make a final point and this is such of something that you said Jeremy about you know the federal government and how cities are now going to be responsible for snow clearing on sidewalks on a completely other like level I'm really glad that that's finally happening because I think that so much of the city is inaccessible for so many people who have mobility issues You know, I have a brother, for example, who is visually impaired and like, can't see black ice or anything like that. And is essentially like trapped and can only go around different parts of the city during the winter when there's snow on the ground. And there are people who I've seen struggling in wheelchairs, walkers, or things like that. Like we can't have a city where only certain people are able to, to walk during the winter. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see the federal government do that. And I'm looking forward to see what the city does around that too.
3: But don't you think that there are bigger fish to fry in the city? Like, like, should we be spending time on, on an issue like this?
2: But like, if, okay, don't believe that like we can't tackle big issues and small issues at the same time. And I think that sometimes like smaller issues can actually like pave the way for action on bigger issues. I, I will say like, it's the kind of like, whenever someone says like, Oh my gosh! Like we can't bring in immigrants. Let's take let take care of like our homeless population. And it's like, well, okay, but you're not doing that anyway. So I think we can worry about two issues at the same time.
3: How do you like that? Was I can see why you ran in Ward Six now, Asmahan. Yeah, I can <laughs> I can I can hear the the political. We can tackle big issues and we can tackle small issues. We're doing this for Calgary. Yeah. <laughs>
2: believe we can do a lot, Darren. Okay. (laughs) We got to like, just yeah, do it. I'm trying to think of a cool segue into our next topic that is actually one that is impacting people in um, really significant ways. So we want to talk a little bit about housing affordability, affordability in general. I think there've been tons of headlines, about how housing prices across this country have skyrocketed. I have mentioned this before. I grew up in Toronto. I lived in Vancouver. Uh, I have friends who are having to move very far out of the city because they cannot afford a house in the cities that they were born in or grew up in and want to live in. And now we're seeing housing prices skyrocket here in Calgary. I I went out for coffee with a friend a few weeks ago who was a bit older than me. And he said, have you bought a house yet? Because if you haven't, you needed to do it yesterday. And that was, that was quite the discussion. So I know Darren, Jeremy, we were talking about the average price of a single, single home in Calgary. It's now 699,000, I believe 690,000.
3: Yeah, that's the that's the median price. Median. So Sorry. we got to be careful using median and average. Right. Um, Pardon me. So yeah, it's it's the middle it's that middle value for a single family home in 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 Calgary. I think it is a really big issue overall because I don't know that there's really a lot being done about it. I know for a fact that based on my income as a a business owner and my wife's income, if we, even as a mature couple, tried to go out and get a new home in this market, we would never ever qualify for two reasons. Number one, there's no way on earth that we would have a 10% down payment. Who who saved $70,000 for one of these homes? very, very few people. And if you have 70,000 bucks, you're probably spending it on something else. Uh, the other thing is uh, to be able to qualify on a three-year mortgage. I think the CMHC rules are, are a three-year fixed mortgage. And I don't know what the, the, the rates are right now, but to be able to do that on 10% down, you got to be making like over 100 grand a year between the two people in order to even come close to qualifying. And and I think it might even be more than that. And I just don't see wages rising the same way as, as some of these, these prices, not to mention the fact of the other things that are costing us a lot more, like fuel, like like heating, electricity, all of these things that are costing us a whole heck of a lot more. Um, I just really quickly want to dive into what the city's doing about it and and where I see the problem. And, and just to sort of contextualize this for listeners, we're not going to solve this problem today. We're not going to come to a, an end point at all, but I think it's worth having a, a an ongoing conversation about it. It seems like affordable housing, and I'm going to bring up the term missing middle. And I want you both to tell me what you think missing middle means. We have affordable housing. We've got this push for affordable housing. But when we talk about affordable housing in Calgary, quite often we're talking about the really, really low income, potentially subsidized housing for for lower income families. And then we talk about density as a means to drive affordability. And from watching as much of city council as I do, seeing the planning decisions that are made, whether it's the change or the subdivision of a of a parcel so that somebody can have two, two units on there, or whether it's it's creating a fourplex or, or a sixplex or something like that, or an eight-unit condo. The thing is, is that none of these places are affordable based on the square footage. And when you're building a 500 square foot condo in inner city, Calgary, and it's costing you $350,000, $400,000 to get it, is that really affordable housing? I don't think it is. Likewise, when you're taking a $700,000 single family home from the inner city and putting up two $850,000 Eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar infills is that affordable housing? It's meeting density goals, but it's certainly not meeting affordable housing goals. I
0: know the outgoing mayor uh, Lisa Helps in Victoria. You know she wrote some blog posts on that 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 theme of the missing middle, and for I guess the viewer, uh, the the viewers, the listeners on this podcast if you thought Calgary was bad with a 699 median single family home, well, wait till you come out to the Island. It's, it, it, it's, it's out of reach. It's not possible at this point, but there are some other conversations, you know, Darren, when you talk about down payments, who can afford it and, you know, talking to a, a realtor colleague here, on the island, you know, a lot of people who do end up getting these homes do actually get a sizable down payment. And that is usually passed on by their baby boomer generation, parents or families. And that's not a conversation that people often have, right? We just go, here's my income, here's how much it's going to cost for a 20% down payment, or for something where I don't need CHMC insurance uh, on top of that. So I think those are, again, the nuances that we often don't talk about. And uh, now to add on top of these uh, rising house prices, the Bank of Canada obviously is hiking the interest rate at, uh, at r- not record pace, but I'll say at a very a, a, a cu- a much quicker pace than we would have expected. I- I'm on a variable mortgage, for example, so I'm going to get hit quite hard-ish but I was also at historic lows, right? So people like to gamble and people like to see the trends on on which which edges out. So I think there's that. There's a bit of education on you know, what a mortgage is, what that looks like, what is best for you as an individual. But even seeing $699 in a Calgary market, that's that's going to be tough. And especially if you're going to be centering yourself as the next tech bubble, as the next is the greatest province to, to work and play and to have a business in. Now you're going to be, unfortunately, on the wrong way, competitive with Vancouver and Toronto in terms of housing prices, which I believe, you know, for example, in Quebec or in Montreal, they're still much lower than what we would have here. I'm
3: on a variable mortgage too, and we're, 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 we're taking a hit already.
2: I think that housing is, in addition to climate change and a few other things, like one of the big crises of our generation in so many ways, it is heartbreaking to think about how many people are priced out of the market around this country. I think the point about, you know, the the missing middle is well taken. I think there is a lot that you kind of mentioned, Jeremy, around like generational wealth and like who, who owns that, who can pass it down, what that means about the kind of like inequities that we're perpetuating. But ultimately, I mean, this is a conversation that is very difficult, but that politicians, I think, have to not just like offer like messaging on, but really make a difference in people's lives. Pierre Polyev, who we actually talked about a bit before the show, he's done a few videos on housing that are resonating with people who are I'm friends with, who are generally more progressive but who think that they might never be able to afford a house in the current market. And so they're looking for people who can kind of speak to them. Interestingly, I, this is like kind of a bit of a, a bit of a tangent, but just before we came on the show, I got a, I don't know if it was like an ad or what from like Scotiabank. And it was like, now is a time to look at affordable mortgages and like, by the way, interest rates are going to go up, which means the housing market might cool down, which means like it's a good time to go in. And I think the reason I'm bringing that up is because I think there is another sort of policy issue around like lending. And um, a lot of people were jumping on to the housing market in last year or so because interest rates were so low. And now They're going to have difficulties paying their mortgage because interest rates are going to go up. We saw quite a housing crisis in the U.S. um, a few years ago because of this. Doesn't seem like we did a lot here to safeguard ourselves around what might come. And I actually genuinely worry about whether people are going to be able to afford their homes as we try to cool the housing market down. So there's a lot here.
3: Hi there, this is Darren Krause, founder and editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. We're just going to take a quick break to tell you that there's a lot more to this conversation than what we've included in this podcast. We talk further about the so-called missing middle and whether Calgary has cornered itself into edge growth in order to provide an affordable housing stock. But that's exclusive content for our $25 a month Patreon subscribers. That's not all they get though. New sign-ups get a wonderful care package delivered to them and exclusive access to my monthly one-on-one conversation with Calgary Mayor Joe T. Gondek. The contributions subscribers make go a long way for small, independent news outlets like Livewire Calgary. The contributions go to local journalism endeavours whether that's investigations, freedom of information requests, paying freelancers, putting together great data sets, shooting photos, video, and creating podcasts just like this one. It's about empowering Calgarians by providing them with a trusted source of information about their city at a time when trust in media is at a premium. So join us. You can do it at patreon.com livewirecalgary. And thanks in advance. We won't disappoint you. Now back to the program. So what's the answer? If, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing that you think would impact affordable housing in Calgary, what would it be? Silence. Yeah, it's, uh, well...
0: I think I said in the in the pre one of the prior episodes that the approval for more affordable housing or for densification in BC was inadequate in the eyes of the current provincial government there. So they were entertaining the idea of intervening in what is the core of what cities do is local planning, area development planning. They were like, you're not doing it fast enough, so we're going to overstep your jurisdiction because they can. And so if it gets to that point in Calgary, would the province step in, maybe not with the current government, but if if they were pushed in that direction, absolutely, right? Like enough with, you know, city councillors talking about the number of trees that to be planted on this property before it can be built. They're just going to do it if people are going, well, I can't even afford food, you know, I can't even go to Safeway and afford food uh, because council's taking 10 years, like in, you know, certain municipalities in BC to approve something that actually didn't even go through. It just fell apart. I don't know, pro- provincial step, province stepping in, I guess, would be the, could be an answer.
3: It's, it's like the, the keystone of affordable housing projects, right? It's just the, the delays and the delays and the delays um, for some of these projects the people just won't. Will- walk away, I think.
2: I think Jeremy's point is great. And I think it's like, you know, first of all, housing is an issue that um, the federal, the provincial and municipal governments need to be working together on. I think there's a lot to be said about like zoning and how we need to, I I guess, examine some of our practices and, and decisions around that. I would love to see a lot more housing that Allows for like multi-generational families and like kind of like more mixed living situations, you know, where maybe you have like a, like an apartment underneath and like a little house on top or like things like that, like things that allow for densification, but also allow for multi-generational families and people living in, I guess, more, more dense communities. Which is not to say like, you know, million dollar infills. That's not what I mean. But I think providing people with like affordable solutions, that's also responsive to family and community needs is, is a step there. And I think we need to think about zoning to do that.
0: Darren, I'm going to I'm going to add one more thing. So the other day, I'm gonna, I'm just quoting it here. Victoria City Council uh, passed laws now, I guess, so that I, I'm paraphrasing. I'm quoting here, sorry. Projects by nonprofit government or co-op housing organizations would no longer require rezonings or public hearings when they are consistent with the city's official community plan or related design guidelines. So kind of like a a secondary suite in Calgary now.
3: That is a a straight streamlining because what ends up popping up in, in Calgary, of course, is the whole NIMBYism could you imagine the uproar given some of the conversation around the guidebook and some of the local area planning, if we were to just blanket approve some of these developments without a public hearing, Nelly, we'd be talking about, I open revolt in this city.
2: I, I want to give a sort of similar or a sort of relational example. Um, So just when I was moving away from Vancouver, so a lot of people consider Vancouver to be this like very progressive city and in many ways it is progressive, but when it comes to housing, there is so much NIMBYism. Okay. So much NIMBYism, it like rivals anywhere I've ever lived. And it was so interesting because there are parts of Vancouver that are on indigenous territory. And I believe it was a Squamish nation that owned this parcel of land on in Kitsilano, which is a very um, wealthy, affluent community in Vancouver. And because it is indigenous territory, they were able to go in and say, we're actually going to put in these apartments. We are going to control rent there and make them affordable. And they're going to be like relatively, you know, relatively high so that a lot of people can live there. And it's just going to be a place that like, you know, more people can afford to live that provides like more housing in Vancouver. And it was like, honestly, actually it was like even covered by the economists. Like it was, like, I think like a really brave decision and one that like, you know, if, if the city were able to do it in multiple places, like maybe they would be able to lower the price of rent and the price of housing, uh, housing there. So I thought that that's a, that's a cool example. People should, people should look up. However, I just don't think that there is a silver bullet to this housing situation. I mean, there are so many tensions. I'm actually really empathetic towards politicians who are dealing with the issue because you're balancing so many things. Like there are many people whose retirements are essentially their homes. But at the same time, if we don't bring down the cost of housing, there are many people who will never enter into the housing market. So there are like a lot of tensions that um, we need to consider as we're making policy decisions. I don't think that there is a silver bullet. But I I do think that if we don't treat this like the crisis that it is, then if the problem is just going to get worse and worse and worse, and it's going to create a lot of discontent in our society, that's going to lead to really weird political outcomes.
3: To your point on the silver bullet, I actually think there is a silver bullet, but it should have been fired about 60 years ago. Let this be a lesson to all of those upstart young towns who one day want to become cities to plan without the need for constant edge growth in order to continue funding your coffers. You know, I, I think of towns like, well, I mean, like the town that I live in, in, in Okotoks. One of the questions that I asked the, uh, the, the, the counselors who came to my door was What are you doing to make sure that we build up a sufficient tax base within the confines of the city limits so that we don't have to keep expanding outward, thinking that that is going to end up paying for future future services? Because pretty much every city in North America that continues to expand on its borders has a problem meeting its budgetary needs because we continue to expand outward. And the answer is always let's add more houses, let's add more tax base, let's do, do this. So if there is a silver bullet, it would be plan your cities in a better way. You know, and, and I it's, it's funny. A lot of Dan McLean. Dan McLean brought up the whole um I've designed a lot of modern transportation systems on Sim City. So I so you know, <laughs> yeah, he did say that. You know, I play a lot of SimCity myself and I think about that. I think about how I'm designing the city so that people have amenities and we missed the boat 60 years ago. I don't think that there's a reasonable way to catch up. And the reason I say that is because as we continue to limit the supply on the periphery in the system that we have created, We create more and more and more demand for inner city, but yet we are not producing units fast enough to meet the demand. And so what happens is we create this artificial growth in our inner city, in the value of homes, because you're pushing us to move to the inner city, but there aren't enough homes, but this is the lifestyle we desire. So yeah, okay, I guess we'll pay $850,000 for a thirteen hundred square foot infill or fourteen hundred square foot infill, and I think that's the problem that really needs to be addressed, and that problem, I don't know if it has a silver bullet,
2: uh yeah, I think I mean maybe the other silver bullet silver bullet here is a time machine to go back sixty years. <laughs> And advise our former mayors and city councillors that they are creating a situation that is going to be untenable in 60 years.
3: So so, so maybe that is the silver bullet that we can look forward to is, time travel. Is time travel. Yeah,
2: time travel
3: yeah. will solve our affordable housing issues.
2: There you have it, everyone.
0: I, I wanted to travel back to tell me the winning lottery number so I could afford that 800 oh. <laughs> k
2: On that note, Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. As always, we really hope that you enjoyed listening to us and that you will talk more about municipal politics with us. Um, you can join Darren, who talks about it every Friday at 5, on his Twitter spaces. And you can go there by looking at his Twitter, at LiveWire underscore DK. Or you can send us a tweet. Um, Darren is at LiveWire underscore DK. Jeremy is at JZ from Calgary. And I'm at Asmahan Thanks so much and take care.